Well, you guys ready to hear some preaching? I hope so. Hey, great turnout. Thanks for coming out. It's Saturday of all days, and we have this big of a group coming. That is so fantastic. Thank you so much. It shows your eagerness, to your eagerness to learn God's word, and you're going to hear from some incredible people today. We've got Joe Thorne and Jimmy Fowler with us. I'm so glad that they've come to, to spend this time with us. I appreciate it. I love the Bible, and uh, I brought my collection of Bibles. They're on the stage, and afterward, you can check them out if you want. But um, I remember my first one. This is my first one, a little picture Bible. Mm-hmm. And I memorized the pictures because I was bored of the sermons. So I would go and look at them. And, and then I signed my name, and I thought it was really dumb, so I re-signed my name so you see that. And then when I actually became a Christian when I was 17 years old, this man bought me this Bible, and it was a treasure to me. And so this was kind of the one that I really got serious with the Lord but the guy spelled my name wrong in the front, so that was a bummer. <laughs> then I got a, a, another Bible that John MacArthur actually signed, and um, I got it right here. It's all crinkled. You know why? Because my son, at about two years old, almost ripped it off, that one page that he signed it on. I taped it back. You don't remember that, do you? <laughs> This one I use, it's really cool because I get to, uh, it's got like double space between the lines so I can write and draw. And when I do my sermons, um, it's really helpful to write all over it. And so if you want to look at that, maybe you can pick one up. This is, uh, if you guys like Greek, this is a Greek New Testament, and uh, you can be blessed by reading Greek. This is an interlinear, which means it has Greek and then like NIV and NAS on both sides so you can kind of you know, study. These are some old Bibles that were given to me, and they're really beautiful pieces. Two of them, I think these two, actually have the Psalms in the back, and they all rhyme. It used to be that the Church of Scotland, Church of England, they would psalm sing, right? So they had to have them memorized. They had to have them, um, they had to rhyme. So it's really cool if you want to look at those. Be careful of those. Those are nice, and they're falling apart. <laughs> well, um, Here's my title, God Speaks and Why We Should Listen. I presume that all of you have heard of Martin Luther. Yes? Okay. And how about John Calvin? How about Huldrych Zwingli? Okay. But how many of you heard of guys like William Tyndale? Okay. How about Martin Bootser? Okay, not so many. Or uh, Heinrich Bullinger, or Hugh Latimer, or William Farrell, or Philip Melanchthon. All of these were major players in the Reformation, and they summarized their Protestant belief in contradistinction with the Catholic Church with five phrases called the five solas. That's where we get sola scriptura. They were kind of like the, the watchwords of the Reformation. So when it says, because sola meant alone. So see if you can, uh, you can figure out this phrase, sola fide, faith alone. How about sola gratia, grace alone. How about solus uh, Christus, Christ alone. Sola dea gloria, our last conference, 
Glory to God alone and sola scriptura. The scriptures alone. And sola scriptura is actually probably the most important principle of all because from it, the rest flow. You wouldn't know anything about uh, sola fide, sola gratia, unless you said, the highest authority in the church and in my life is the scriptures. That's how I know about God. That's how I know because he is described by the scriptures. Like, how do you know that God has said anything on the matter? It's the scriptures. And can a pope or pastor pull rank and demand that people would listen to them? Can their, can their word ever be challenged? Yes. You know a little university priest who began writing about the discovery from the book of Romans. His name was Martin Luther. And he began teaching and publishing his views on the gospel, that there was salvation by grace through faith. He was also vocal about abuses of the church that he saw and regarding penance, which is repentance, and then the selling of indulgences. I won't go into that. That's church history. That'll be another message maybe. But all of this culminated to a trial because the Catholic Church wanted him gone. He was creating too much trouble for the Catholic Church. And so Martin Luther was asked to come to a, a meeting um, where he was asked to recant his views or be killed. So that, that, that's a kind of a crossroad, isn't it? How much do you believe the Bible? How much do you believe the things you say you believe? If you have to, if you have to mark it in blood. That's what was asked of Martin Luther. And Luther was, when he was asked to recant, this is the moment that he utters that famous paragraph. And I'll read it to you. And that was after a night of praying and working his mind and heart to a place where he could stand and say this. He says, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. That's awesome. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Scripture is the final authority in the church. So hold up your Bibles. If you got your Bible and if it's a phone, hold up your phone, all right? What you hold in your hand testifies of a God who wants to speak to you. He is not silent. 31,000 verses in this book tells you that he wants, you can put it down, tells you that he wants to speak. Now, God speaks and why you should listen. I'm going to try to lay out that the Bible is the highest authority. But here's the thing. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that has to convince you. I'm going to give you some arguments that I think are good. I'm only going to give you two. There are so many more that we're not going to be able to get to. But even after all of that, it's going to come down to a miracle of God for your heart to awaken to the things of God in here. Because if I were to say, well, the Bible says it's the word of God. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, there are people who heard from God and wrote it down. Hmm. Well, what if you met the living God and he told you to write it down? So that might be good for a while, but you might start to doubt like, well, did I, I mean, was I feeling good or was that a hallucination or, 
And then if you want to tell someone else about it, they're going to have to believe your word. Well, what if someone did a lot of miracles and rose from the dead? It's all in here. But at the end of the line, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit awaken your soul to know that this book is God speaking and it is for your life and for your salvation. It is God. He put, first puts his signature in the sky. You know, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. God is speaking to his creation. He put every sight, flavor, fragrance, sound that you might know something about God. And you know something about God when you experience beauty, power, creativity, love, joy, it all points to God, but something devastated ha- devastating happened early on. Our ancestors in the paradise turned away from God. They believed, instead of believing God's word, they believed in lies. And because of that, death and destruction came about. And you ask yourself, well, does God then become silent? Does he cut the amps and walk away from the microphone like, I give up on these people? No, actually, he doesn't. He does just the opposite. He turns up the volume. Because the microphone crackles to life. The whole Bible was written after humans turned away from God. He wants to save, and he wants to be known. That's why why this book is so precious to me and so many people. And they have looked to it and built their lives upon it. And could even stand before councils and say, unless it's the sure word of God, kill me. I'm going to trust it. I mean, there's something about this book then that countless people have uh, put their lives upon it. Because, you know, think about this. Stars, trees, storms are inadequate messengers of God. They can only tell you so much about God. The written word, God, without the written word, God would remain shadowy, largely unknowable, No one would conclude anything about sin and salvation looking at the clouds. He's going to have to be more specific. The Bible was written to introduce us to God, his law, his judgment, our sin, his salvation through Jesus, and the coming kingdom. Scripture tells us all these things in detail. No pope or church council has the same authority. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. What you have in your hands is the revelation of God over a period of 1,500 years, contained in 66 books. We call that progressive revelation, that it just started stacking upon one another so that now we have it contained in one book, and it, but it was over a long period of time. Hebrews, actually, Jay, uh, Jay uh, read it long ago, chapter 1, verse 1. In many times and many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. So from Moses all the way to Jesus, God has been speaking to us. So why do we consider the Bible authoritative then and how do we know that God spoke these words okay I've got two points here's the first one the Bible is revelatory revelatory it means that these guys didn't speak 
their own thoughts. They didn't write down their own thoughts. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. God spoke to them, and they wrote it down. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We know that because Jesus said that much in John chapter 5. Some of the material may have come from oral traditions passed down, and he received it from his ancestors, but much of it was just spoken by God to him, like in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. So I'm going to just fly through some of these, okay? So you just write down the references, and you can look it up. Exodus 17, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. So God spoke, he wrote, and then he passed it to Joshua. Another time, Exodus 31, he was supposed to go back up on Mount Sinai to get the tablets of God, right? He says, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God, and he brings it down. So God spoke, he wrote, and then God spoke, and God wrote. And then it says in Joshua 24, 26, and Joshua wrote down these words in the book of the law of God. So it's a collective work. It's starting to grow. You get to the prophets. If a prophet received a word from the Lord, and yet the prophet, prophecy does not come true, or advocated something contrary to the revelation already received, guess what happened to that prophet? Put to death. That's how serious it is. Deuteronomy 18.21. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, and I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of another God, the same prophet shall die. You know, that, that's, that's going to keep things pure, isn't it? That's going to keep things pure and untainted. Peter, in his second book, 2 Peter Chapter 1, 20 to 21, it says, knowing this, that first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. You've heard people say, well, that's just your interpretation. No, no Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty awesome. Now, how do you know it's true? Still, how, how do you know that that's true? Well, let's put some things together. Jesus and Paul quote the Old Testament as if it's authoritative and a revelation from God. Here's Jesus. Jesus in Luke chapter 20, verse 27. The Sadducees came to Jesus to show how silly the belief of the resurrection was. They're coming to make fun of the resurrection. To Jesus, right? This is interesting. And Jesus answers them by quoting Exodus 3, 6. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, making the point, listen to this, that they were very much alive. Who was much alive? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Making the point that they were very much alive because of the resurrection. Now, in order to make that, make that claim... To make that point, the Old Testament must be authoritative down to the tense of the verb. You follow that? Jesus said to them, no, I, you, you have to believe in the resurrection because of Exodus 3.6. It says, I am 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His whole argument rests on the tense of the verb. That's how they look back to the Old Testament and they could build arguments on the tense of a verb because it was authoritative. Paul, in proving that Gentiles were included in the covenant promises to Abraham, says in Galatians 3.16, the promises, I quote, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to his offspring, who is Christ. You see how he's arguing? To make that argument, the Old Testament has to be authoritative down to the suffix, whether it's a singular or plural word. So Jesus and Paul believed that the Old Testament had that kind of authority. Do you get the idea that I'm trying to put forth? Jesus and Paul quoted the Old Testament as revelation from God and therefore authoritative. Not in the ideas, like, okay, it's, it's like the ideas are inspired. No, not even the paragraph, not even the words. Down to the tenses and the suffixes on words, they were making arguments. What about the New Testament? The Old Testament prophesied of a coming Messiah, and when he arrived, he proved to be more than a man. There were miracles. Uh, he taught with one as authority, having authority, everything that you would expect from the Son of God. And when he rose from the dead, and then the Holy Spirit descended, as he said, certainly we have something here. If Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, the New Testament has to be written. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, and some, someone else has this passage. I won't go very far with it, Jimmy. Just quoting it. But as for you, continue. So this is Paul to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise. Listen to this. Sacred writings, Old Testament. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God. You see the connection? The Old Testament is pointing to a complete revelation in Jesus Christ whom you and I have salvation in. If you are to be saved by Jesus Christ, then you need New Testament writings that carry authority that are just as accurate as the Old Testament. One more, Peter, the Apostle Peter actually quotes, uh, speaks of Paul's writings as authoritative. You get this in, in uh, what is it, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are many things in them that are hard to understand. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, and then this phrase, as they do the other scriptures. Paul, or Peter is equating Paul's writings on par with scripture. It is revelatory, meaning it's coming from God 
they are writing it down. And even Peter and Paul are writing, and it becomes, because they're carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing exactly what the Holy Spirit intended to say. So it is revelatory, and the Bible is, number two, self-authenticating. Self-authenticating. It means the Bible itself claims to be from God. I've already quoted the verses that say, say this that much, but let's talk about that. Because I know that sounds a little strange, a little funny at first. But if God did write it, how would you determine its truthfulness? If God wrote the Bible, what test would you bring to the Bible to prove its trustworthiness? That's the struggle you have when you come to ultimate authority. Because if written by a perfect God, it would be the standard of truth. You could appeal to nothing higher than the Bible to test the Bible then. You see the struggle you get? To say that it's God's word because it claims to be God's word, I know is circular reasoning, and that, that becomes difficult for us. But all arguments for absolute truth in the end point to itself. Think about this. Um, if I had a stick and I said, this is an English yard, You'd say, well, how do you know it's an English yard? How do you know its, it's length is a yard? I would say, well, I measured it by a, a, a yardstick. Because every family growing up in my age had a yardstick. And so I cut it off just like the yardstick. And you say, well, how do you know the yardstick is accurate, is truly a, a, you know, an English yard? Well, the only way that you can, you can go further back is you go to the standard yard, which is in Greenwich, Greenwich, London, it's fixed right into a building, and that is the standard. And if you say, well, how do you know that's the English yard? It is. You can't go any further back because it is the standard. That's what you have with absolute truth. The Bible claims that it is the final authority. So you're going to have a hard time. That's where you're going to see these arguments seem to be circular, but again, if you're talking about ultimate authority, at the end of the day, it's going to point to itself. Does that make sense? Maybe. Okay. Uh, you may not be convinced. But at least I want you to see that ultimate truth, which is what the Bible claims to be, cannot be attested outside itself. It is the standard. It is the very breath that, create, the very breath that created the world, spoke it into existence, breathed out this book. It's life-giving message to all who have received it by faith. And millions of people give testimony to life-changing because of the gospel of Jesus Christ found in the book. And some of them were martyred for believing, believing in the truth of this book. I said to Mar of Martin Luther, but did you know that anyone possessing any piece of unauthorized scripture, so Unauthorized scripture would be anything outside the church. The church had the official copies. And if you had a, a, a scrap or a piece of something, you could be put to death in the, fort, in the 14th century. Crazy. Did you know that William Tyndale in the 16th century translated the whole Bible into English at the threat of his life? Why would he do that? 
He does that because the Bible communicates the very words of God. Eternal life is at stake. It needs to be spoken. People need to know about this God who's communicating to humans so that they might escape the judgment to come. That's so important that William Tyndale wrote it down. I don't care if I lose my life. People need to hear. Tyndale was caught. He was tried. He was executed by strangulation, then burned at the stake. And his dying prayer was that the king's eyes would be open to the truth. How could someone be so certain that it's the word of God? The spirit of God convinces the hearers and opens the heart to believe. Have you ever wondered to yourself if you could ever have that kind of certainty about the things of God? Well, the answer is yes, you can. God has brought that to me and many people in this room. Have I ever gone back and gone, ah, sure, but with certainty, waves of certainty throughout my life have happened in my life because of the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God makes the Bible believable. The Spirit that inspired men as they wrote, he also opens the heart to believe as you read. Now, I've got a few more things to say and we'll be done, but listen to me. I think this is really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 and 14. I'm going to quote it. <clears throat> what no man has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Bart Ehrman, he's a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina. And he can tell you the themes of the Bible. He can tell you the personality of different authors in the Bible but he cannot assess its eternal value. He can't look at the Bible and assess its eternal value because to him, it's like explaining the words of Shakespeare. How could that be? How could someone who knows the Bible better than you and me shrug his shoulders in disbelief? Because a miracle has to happen to you and me. Our assessments, our judgments of value and worth are skewed because of our sinful corruption within. The Bible is foolishness to the natural mind. Natural men will hear the Bible and consider it primitive, embarrassing. The cross seems like a failure and the resurrection make believe. There are reasonable arguments to help eliminate the intellectual barriers, but even after hearing them all, you will still arrive at the edge of a chasm and it'll be too hard to jump across. To be clear, the problem in the end is not one of information, but one of taste. You can hear all about the properties of honey, but until you actually taste it, you need help to believe. 
You know, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he was an expert at the Old Testament. And Jesus told him, you got to start all over again. You are blind, Nicodemus. You can't see. You must be, here's where the word comes from, born again. Born of the Spirit. You're born naturally. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to have a completely different mindset. The natural man evaluates the things through an earthbound filter. If ever he's going to see differently, he needs to be born of the Spirit, and that's a miracle of God, and that's what needs to happen to you and me. I grew up in the church, and uh, I, I heard the Bible preached, I heard it read, and when I was old enough, my parents taught me how to have my own little devotions of reading the Bible and praying together, and I was bored out of my mind. I did it because I had to, until a miracle happened to me at camp when I was 17 years old. And a love for God awakened in me, and because of that, the Bible became precious to me. Not only did I understand the Bible, I loved the Bible. It'll be the same for you. God speaks, and you should listen because its content is revelatory. It is God speaking to us, and they wrote it down. It is self-authenticating. He's speaking through the beauty of the universe, the display in the universe, but through the spoken and written words of the prophets and then through the appearance of his son, Jesus. But you will not hear it unless a miracle happens to you. And I'm praying even in this moment that that would happen. The Holy Spirit amplifies the word so that you can hear and believe. And I want that to happen. I want that to happen to you. Are you hungry for God? Do you long to know the creator? I want you to read this book because it's not you stay away from it and you go, okay, well, at the right time, he's going to open up my mind. No, I want you to start reading it. And as you read it, the spirit of God will come and open it to you. And I would say, start in the book of John. It's one of the gospels. There's four gospels. It's the... The, the fourth gospel, and read it and ask yourself, God, what can I know about you? And what can I know about me and the responsibility that I have as I listen to it? And I know that the Spirit of God will open your heart. When we pray. Lord, we need the miracle of new birth so that our heart can be attuned and to its value and worth Instead of seeing foolishness, Lord, we see the wisdom, your wisdom. And in the end, see life-giving properties of it, Lord. We thank you, God, that we have a copy of it. We thank you, Lord, that we have many copies of it. But, Lord, more than that, would you make it precious to us, open it up to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.